Welcome to this new Uvula Audio children's presentation of L. Frank Baum's The Twinkle Tales. Volume 2, Bandit Jim Crow. Chapter 1, Jim Crow Becomes a Pet. One day, when Twinkle's father was in the cornfield, he shot his gun at a flock of crows that were busy digging up with their long bills the kernels of corn he had planted. But Twinkle's father didn't aim very straight, for the birds screamed at the bang of the gun and quickly flew away, all except one young crow that fluttered its wings but couldn't rise into the air, and so began to run along the ground in an effort to escape. The man chased the young crow and caught it, and then he found that one of the lead bullets had broken the right wing, although the bird seemed not to be hurt in any other way. It struggled hard and tried to peck the hands that held it, but it was too young to hurt anyone, so Twinkle's father decided he would carry it home to his little daughter. Here's a pet for you, Twinkle, he said as he came into the house. Can't fly because its wing is broken, but don't let it get too near your eyes or it may peck at them. It's very wild and fierce, you know. Twinkle was delighted with her pet and at once got her mother to bandage the broken wing so that it would heal quickly. The crow had jet-black feathers, but there was a pretty purplish and violet gloss or sheen on its back and wings, and its eyes were bright and had a knowing look in them. They were hazel-brown in color, and the bird had a queer way of turning his head on one side to look at Twinkle with his right eye, and then twisting at the other side that he might see her with his left eye. She often wondered if she'd look the same to both eyes, or if each one made her seem different. She named her pet Jim Crow, because Papa said that all crows were called Jim, although he could never find out a reason why. But the name seemed to fit her pet as well as any, so Twinkle never bothered about the reason. Having no cage to keep him in, fearing he would run away, the girl tied a strong cord around one of Jim Crow's legs, and the other end of the cord she fashioned to the round of a chair or a table leg when they were in the house. The crow would run all around, as far as the string would let him go, but he couldn't get away, and when they went out of doors, Twinkle held the end of the cord in her hand, as one needs a dog, and Jim Crow would run along in front of her, and then stop and wait. And when she came near, he'd run on again, screaming, Caw, caw, at the top of his shrill little voice. He soon came to know he belonged to Twinkle, and would often lie in her lap or perch upon her shoulder, and whenever she entered the room where he was, he would say, Caw, caw! to her in pleading tones until she picked him up or took some notice of him. It was wonderful how quickly a bird that had always lived wild and free seemed to become tame and gentle. Twinkle's father said that was because he was so young and because his broken wing kept him from flying in the air and rejoining his fellows. But Jim Crow wasn't as tame as he seemed, and he had a very wicked and ungrateful disposition, as you will presently learn. For a few weeks, however, he was as nice a pet as any girl could wish for. He got into mischief occasionally and caused Mama some annoyance when he waded into a pan of milk or jumped upon the dinner table and ate up Papa's pumpkin pie before Twinkle could stop him. But all pets are more or less trouble at times, so Jim Crow escaped with a few severe scoldings from Mama, which never seemed to worry him in the least or make him a bit unhappy. Chapter 2 Jim Crow Runs Away 
At last Jim got so tame that Twinkle took the cord off his leg and let him go free, wherever he pleased. So he wandered all over the house and out into the yard where he chased the ducks and bothered the pigs, and made himself generally disliked. He had a way of perching upon the back of old Tom, Papa's favorite horse, and chattering away in Tom's ear until the horse plunged and pranced in his stall to get rid of his unwelcome visitor. Twinkle always kept the bandage on the wounded wing, for she didn't know whether it was well yet or not, and she thought it was better to be on the safe side. But the truth was that Jim Crow's wing had healed long ago, and was now as strong as ever, and as the weeks passed, and he grew big and fat, a great longing came into his wild heart to fly again, far, far up into the air and away to the lands where there were forests of trees and brooks of running water. He didn't ever expect to rejoin his family again. They were far enough away by this time, and he didn't care much to associate with other crows. All he wanted was to be free, and do exactly as he pleased, and not have someone cuffing him a dozen times a day because he was doing wrong. One morning, before Twinkle was up, or even awake, Jim Crow pecked at the bandage on his wing until he got the end unfastened, and then it wasn't long before the entire strip of cloth was loosened and fell to the ground. Now Jim fluttered his feathers and pruned them with his long bill, where they had been pressed together, and presently he knew that the wing which had been injured was exactly as strong and well as the other one, and he could fly away whenever he pleased. The crow had been well fed by Twinkle and her mamma, and was in splendid health, but he was not at all grateful. With the knowledge of his freedom, a fierce, cruel joy crept into his heart, and he resumed the wild nature that crows are born with, and never lay aside as long as they live. Having forgotten in an instant that he had ever been tame, and the pet of a gentle little girl, Jim Crow had no thought of saying goodbye to Twinkle. Instead, he decided he would do something that would make these foolish humans remember him for a long time. So he dashed into a group of young chickens that had only just been hatched a day or two before, and killed seven of them with his strong curved claws and his wicked black beak. When the mother hen flew at him, he pecked at her eyes, and then, screaming in defiance to all the world, Jim Crow flew into the air and sailed away to a new life in another part of the world. Chapter 3 Jim Crow Finds a New Home I'll not try to tell you of all the awful things this bad crow did during the next few days on his long journey toward the south. Twinkle almost cried when she found her pet gone, and she really did cry when she saw the poor murdered chickens. But Mama said she was very glad to have Jim Crow run away, and Papa scowled and declared he was sorry he had not killed the cruel bird when he shot at it in the cornfield. In the meantime, the runaway crow flew through the country, and when he was hungry he would stop at a farmhouse and rob a hen's nest and eat the eggs. It was his knowledge of farmhouses that made him so bold, but the farmer shot at the thieving bird once or twice, and this frightened Jim Crow so badly he decided to keep away from farms and find a living in some less dangerous way. One day he came to a fine forest, where there were big and little trees of all kinds, with several streams of water running through the woods. Ah, here I will make my home, for surely this is the finest place I'm ever likely to find, said Jim Crow. 
There were plenty of birds in this forest, but Jim could hear them singing and twittering everywhere among the trees, and their nests hung suspended from branches or nestled in a fork made by two limbs in almost every direction he might look. And the birds were of many kinds, too. Robins, thrushes, bullfinches, mockingbirds, wrens, yellowtails, and skylarks. Even tiny hummingbirds fluttered around the wildflowers that grew in the glades, and in the waters of the brooks waded long-legged herons, while kingfishers sat upon overhanging branches and waited patiently to seize any careless fish that might swim too near them. Jim Crow decided this must be a real paradise for birds, because it was far away from the houses of men, so he made up his mind to get acquainted with the inhabitants of the forest as soon as possible, and let them know who he was, and that he must be treated with proper respect. In a big fir tree, whose branches reached nearly to the ground, he saw a large gathering of the birds, who sat chattering and gossiping pleasantly together. So he flew down and joined them. "'Ah, good morning, folks!' he said, and his voice sounded to them like a harsh croak because it had become much deeper in the tone since he had grown to his full size. The birds looked at him curiously, and one or two fluttered their wings in a timid, nervous way, but none of them, little or big, thought best to make any reply. "'Well,' said Jim Crow gruffly, "'what's the matter with you fellows? Uh, haven't you got tongues? You seem to talk fast enough a minute ago.' "'Excuse me,' replied a bullfinch in a dignified voice. "'We haven't the honor of your acquaintance. You are a stranger.' "'My name's Jim Crow, and I won't be a stranger long, because I'm going to live here.' They all looked grave at this speech, and a little thrush hopped from one branch to another and remarked, "'We haven't any crows here at all. If you want to find your own folks, you must go to some other place.' "'Ah, uh, what do I care about my own folks?' asked Jim with a laugh that made the little thrush shudder. I'd prefer to live alone. Haven't you got a mate? asked a robin, speaking in a very polite tone. No, and I don't want any, said Jim Crow. I'm going to live all by myself. There's plenty of room in this forest, I guess. Certainly, replied the bullfinch. There is plenty of room for you here if you behave yourself and obey the laws. Ah, who's going to make me? he said angrily. Any decent person, even if he's a crow, is bound to respect the law, answered the bullfinch. Jim Crow was a little ashamed, for he didn't wish to acknowledge he wasn't decent, so he said, Ah, uh, what are your laws? The same as those in all other forests. You must respect the nests and property of other birds, and not interfere with them when they're hunting for food. And you must warn your fellow birds whenever there is danger, and assist them to protect their young from prowling beasts. And if you obey these laws and do not steal from or interfere with your neighbors, you have a right to nest in our forest. To be quite frank with you, though, said the robin, we prefer your room to your company. I'm going to stay, said the crow. I guess I'm as good as the rest of you, so your fellows just mind your own business, and I'll mind mine. With these words he left them. And when he had mounted to a position above the trees, he saw that one tall, slim pine was higher than all the rest, and that its very top was a big, deserted nest. Chapter 4 Jim Crow Becomes a Robber It looked like a crow's nest to Jim, so he flew toward the pine tree and lit upon a branch close by. One glance told him that at some time 
It really must have been the home of birds of his kind, who for some reason had abandoned it long ago. The nest was large and bulky, being made of strong sticks woven together with fine roots and grasses. It was all rough outside, but smooth inside, and when Jim Crow had kicked out the dead leaves and twigs that had fallen into it, he decided it was nearly as good as new, and plenty good enough for a solitary crow like him to live in. So, with his bill, he made a mark on the nest that every bird might know it belonged to him, and felt at last he had found a home. During the next few days, he made several attempts to get acquainted with the other birds, but they were cold and distant, though very polite to him, and none of them seemed to care for his society. No bird ever came near his nest, but he often flew down to the lower trees and perched upon one or another of them, so gradually the birds of the forest got used to seeing him around and paid very little attention to his actions. One day Mrs. Wren missed two brown eggs from her nest, and her little heart was nearly broken with grief. It took the mockingbird and the bullfinch a whole afternoon to comfort her, while Mr. Wren hopped around in nearly as much distress as his wife. No animals had been seen in the forest who would do this evil thing, so no one could imagine who the thief might be. Such an outrage was almost unknown in this pleasant forest, and it made all the birds nervous and fearful. A few days later, a still greater horror came upon them, for the helpless young children of Mrs. Linnet were seized one morning from their nest, while their parents were absent in search of food, and were carried away bodily. Mr. Linnet declared that on his way back to his nest he had seen a big black monster leaving it, but had been too frightened to notice just what the creature looked like. But the lark, who had been up very early that morning, stated that he had seen no one near that part of the forest except Jim Crow, who had flown swiftly to his nest in the tall pine tree. This was enough to make all the birds look upon Jim Crow with grave suspicion, and Robin Redbreast called a secret meeting of all the birds to discuss the question and decide what must be done to preserve their nests from the robber. Jim Crow was so much bigger and fiercer than any of the others that none dared accuse him openly or venture to quarrel with him. But they had a good friend living not far away who was not afraid of Jim Crow or anyone else, so they finally decided to send for him and ask for his assistance. The starling undertook to be the messenger, and as soon as the meeting was over, flew away upon his errand. Uh, "'What were all of you folks talking about?' asked the crow, flying down and alighting upon a limb near to those who had not yet left the place of meeting. "'We were talking about you.' said the thrush boldly. And you wouldn't care at all to know what we said, Mr. Jim Crow. Jim looked a trifle guilty and ashamed at hearing this, but knowing they were all afraid of him, burst out into a rude laugh. Caw, caw, caw! He chuckled hoarsely. What do I care what you say about me? But don't you get saucy, my pretty thrush, or your friends will miss you some fine morning or never see you again. This awful threat made them all silent, for they remembered the fate of poor Mrs. Linnet's children, and very few of the birds now had any doubt that Jim Crow knew more about the death of those helpless little ones than he cared to tell. Finding they would not talk with him, the crow flew back to his tree where he sat suddenly perched upon a branch near his nest, and they were very glad to be rid of him so easily. Chapter 5 Jim Crow Meets Policeman Blue Jay The next morning Jim Crow woke up early, and as he sat lazily in his big nest he remembered he had seen four pretty brown eggs, speckled with white, 
in the nest of the oriole that lived at the edge of the forest. Those eggs will taste very good for breakfast, he thought. Ah, I'll go at once and get them, and if old Mama Oriole makes a fuss, I'll eat her too. He jumped out of his nest and onto a branch, and the first thing his sharp eye saw was a big and strange bird sitting among the tree just opposite him, and looking steadily in his direction. Never having lived among other birds until now, the crow did not know what kind of bird this was. But as he faced the newcomer, he had a sort of shiver in his heart that warned him to beware an enemy. Indeed, it was none other than the blue jay that had appeared so suddenly, and he had arrived that morning because the starling had told him of the thefts that had taken place. And the blue jay is well known as the policeman of the forest, and a terror to all evildoers. In size he was nearly as big as Jim Crow himself, and he had a large crest of feathers on the top of his head that made him look even more fierce, especially when he ruffled them up. His body was purplish blue in colour on the back, and purplish grey below, and there was a collar of black feathers running all around his neck. But his wings and tail were a beautiful rich blue, as delightful in colour as the sky on a fine May morning. So in personal appearance, Policeman Blue Jay was much more handsome than Jim Crow. But it was the sharp, stout beak that most alarmed the crow. And had Jim been wiser, he would have known that before him was the most deadly foe of his race, and that the greatest pleasure a blue jay finds in his life is to fight and punish a crow. But Jim was not very wise, and so he imagined, after his first terror had passed away, that he could bully this bird, as he had others, and make it fear him. "'Well, what are you doing here?' he called out in his crossest voice, while he was anxious to get away and rob the oriole's nest. The blue jay gave a scornful, chattering laugh as he answered. "'That's none of your business, Jim Crow.' "'Ah, take care,' warned the crow. "'You'll be sorry if you don't treat me with the proper respect.' The blue jay winked solemnly in a way that would have been very comical to any observer other than the angry crow. "'Don't hurt me, please don't.' he said, fluttering on the branch as if greatly frightened. My mother would feel dreadfully bad if anything happened to me. Well, then behave yourself, returned the crow, strutting proudly along a limb and flopping his broad wings in an impressive manner, for he was foolish enough to think he had made the other afraid. But no sooner had he taken flight and soared into the air than Blue Jay darted at him like an arrow from a bolt, and before Jim Crow could turn to defend himself, the bill of his enemy struck him full in the breast. Then, with a shriek of shrill laughter, the policeman darted away and disappeared into the forest, leaving the crow to whirl around in the air once or twice, and then sink slowly down, with some of his own torn feathers floating near him, as witnesses to his defeat. The attack had dazed and astonished him beyond measure, but he found he was not much hurt after all, Crows are tougher than most birds. Jim managed to reach one of the brooks, where he bathed his breast in the cool water, and soon he felt much refreshed and much more like his old self again. But he decided not to go to the oriole's nest that morning, but to search for grubs and beetles amongst the moss beneath the oak trees. Chapter 6 Jim Crow Fools the Policeman from that time on, Policeman Blue Jay made his home in the forest, keeping a sharp eye upon the actions of Jim Crow. And one day he flew away to the south 
and returned with Mrs. Blue Jay, who was even more beautiful than her mate. Together they built a fine nest in a tree that stood near to the crow's tall pine, and soon after they had settled down to housekeeping, Mrs. Blue Jay began to lay eggs of a pretty brown colour, mottled with darker brown spots. Had Jim Crow known what was best for him, he would have flown away from this forest and found himself a new home just then. Within a short flight were many bits of woodland, where a crow might get a good living and not be bothered by blue jays. But Jim was obstinate and foolish, and had made up his mind that he would never again be happy until he'd been revenged upon his enemy. He dared no longer rob the nest so boldly as he had before, so he became sly and cunning. He soon found out that the blue jay could not fly as high as he could, nor as fast. So if he kept a sharp lookout for the approach of his foe, he had no trouble in escaping. But if he went near to the nests of the smaller birds, there was Policeman Blue Jay, standing guard and ready, and anxious to fight at a moment's notice. It was really no place for a robber at all, unless the robber was very clever. One day Jim Crow discovered a chalk pit among the rocks at the north of the forest, just beyond the edge of the trees. The chalk was soft and in some places crumpled to a fine powder, so that when he had rolled himself for a few minutes in the dust, all his feathers became as white as snow. This fact gave to Jim Crow a bright idea. No longer black but white as a dove, he flew away to the forest and passed right by Policeman Blue Jay, who only noticed that a big white bird had flown amongst the trees and did not suspect it was the thieving crow in a clever disguise. Jim found a robin's nest that was not protected, both the robin and his wife were away searching for food. So he ate up the eggs and kicked the nest to pieces and then flew away, again passing the blue jay a second time all unnoticed. When he reached a brook, he washed all the chalk away from his feathers and then returned to his nest as black as ever. All the birds were angry and dismayed when they found out what had happened, but none could imagine who had robbed the robins. Mrs. Robin, who was not easily discouraged, built another nest and laid more eggs in it. But the next day a second nest in the forest was robbed, and then another, and then another, until the birds complained that Policeman Blue Jay did not protect them at all. I can't understand it in the least, said the policeman. I've watched carefully, and I know Jim Crow has never dared to come near your trees. Then someone else is the robber, declared the thrush fussily. The only stranger I've noticed around here is a big white bird, replied Policeman Blue Jay. And white birds never rob nests or eat eggs, as I'm sure you all know very well. But they were no nearer the truth than before, and the thefts continued. For each day Jim Crow would make himself white in the chalk pit, and fly into the forest and destroy the precious eggs of some innocent little bird, and afterwards wash himself in some faraway brook and return to his nest chuckling with glee to think he had fooled Policeman Blue Jay. But the Blue Jay, although stupid and unsuspecting at first, presently began to get a little wisdom. He remembered that all his trouble had commenced when the strange white bird had first arrived in the forest. And although it was doubtless true that white birds never eat eggs and have an honest reputation, he decided to watch the stranger and make sure it was innocent of the frightful crimes that had so aroused the dwellers in the forest. Chapter 7. Jim Crow is Punished So one day Policeman Blue Jay hid himself in some thick bushes until he saw the big white bird fly by, and then he followed quietly after it, 
flitting from tree to tree and keeping out of sight as much as possible, until at last he saw the white bird alight near a bullfinch's nest and eat up all the eggs it contained. Then, ruffling his crest angrily, Policeman Blue Jay flew to attack the big white robber and was astonished to find he could not catch it, for the white bird flew higher into the air than he could and also flew much faster, so that it soon escaped and passed out of sight. It must be a white crow, thought Policeman Blue Jay, for only a white crow can beat me at flying, and some of that race are said to be white, although I've never seen one. So he called together all the birds and told them what he had seen, and they all agreed to hide themselves the next day and lie in wait for the thief. By this time Jim Crow thought himself perfectly safe, and success had made him as bold as he was wicked. Therefore he suspected nothing when, after rolling himself in the chalk, he flew down the next day into the forest to feast upon birds' eggs. He soon came to a pretty nest and was just about to rob it, when a chorus of shrill cries arose on every side of him, and hundreds of birds, so many that they quite filled the air, flew straight at the white one, pecking him with their bills and striking him with their wings. For anger had made even the most timid of the little birds fierce, and there were so many of them that they gave each other courage. Jim Crow tried to escape, but whichever way he might fly, his foes clustered all around him, getting in his way so that he could not use his big wings properly. And all the time they were pecking at him and fighting him as hard as they could. Also, the chalk was brushing off from his feathers by degrees, and soon the birds were able to recognize their old enemy, the crow, and then indeed they became more furious than ever. Policeman Blue Jay was especially angry at the deception practiced upon him, and if he could have got the crow just then, he would have killed it instantly. But the little birds were all in his way, so he was forced to hold aloof. Filled with terror and smarting with pain, Jim Crow had only one thought, to get to the shelter of his nest in the pine tree. In some way he managed to do this, and to sink exhausted into the hollow of the nest. But many of his enemies followed him, and although the thick feathers of his back and wings protected his body, Jim's head and eyes were at the mercy of the sharp bills of the vengeful birds. When at last they left him, thinking he had been sufficiently punished, Jim Crow was as nearly dead as a bird could be. But crows are tough, and this one was unlucky enough to remain alive, for when his wounds had healed, he had become totally blind, and day after day he sat in his nest, helpless and alone, and dared not leave it. Chapter 8 Jim Crow Has Time to Repent His Sins Where are you going, my dear? asked the Blue Jay of his wife. I'm going to carry some grubs to Jim Crow, she answered. I'll be back in a minute. Jim Crow is a robber and a murderer, said the policeman harshly. I know, she replied in a sweet voice, but he is also blind. We'll fly along then, but hurry back said her husband. And the robin redbreast and his wife filled a cup-shaped flower with water from the brook and then carried in their bills to the pine tree without spilling a drop. Where are you going? asked the oriole as they passed. We're just taking some water to Jim Crow, replied Mrs. Robin. But he's a thief and a scoundrel, cried the oriole indignantly. That's true, said Mrs. Robin in a soft, pitiful voice. But he's also blind. Let me help you, exclaimed the Oriole. I'll carry the side of the cup so it can't tip. 
So Jim Crow, blind and helpless, sat in his nest day after day and week after week, while the little birds he had so cruelly wronged brought him food and water and cared for him as generously as they could. And I wonder what his thoughts were, don't you? The End